0: Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. These are the words spoken by the four living creatures around the throne of God and they never stop repeating. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as they proclaim this truth and as they perform this this act, this service of worship in God's presence. Whenever they give glory and honor and thanks to Him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before Him who is seated on the throne, and they worship Him who lives forever and ever, they cast their crowns before the throne saying, Worthy are You, our Lord and God. To receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they existed and were created. This is the picture of the throne room of God that we are given in Revelation chapter 4. A window into what takes place in, in worship right there in his presence. And it is, it is an, a, a reflection again of what we read in Isaiah chapter 6. Of what is going on right there in God's presence, calling out his holiness, worshiping him for his purity, his uniqueness. Revelation chapter 1 gives us a a description of Jesus. We're told in verse 13 in the midst of these lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. The hairs of his head were white, like white wool, like snow. His eyes were like a flame of fire, his feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace, and his voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand he held seven stars, from his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in full strength. And we are given a picture of God around his throne, and we are given a picture of Jesus And I asked this morning, when was the last time that you just spent some time quietly reflecting on the holiness of God? His holiness, His his uniqueness, His otherness, His purity. When was the last time you and I spent time reflecting on the holiness of Jesus? His otherness, His purity, His uniqueness. When was the last time you spent time reflecting on your holiness? When was the last time I spent time reflecting on my holiness? When was the last time we spent time considering and reflecting on our holiness, our otherness, uniqueness, and purity as God's called out people? It was read for us earlier by Andy here from 1 Peter chapter 1, which is a quote from Leviticus which tells us that beginning to end the call of God on His people is this be holy because I am holy. We are called out but we are called to. We are called out from the world but we are called to God to be a people for His name. And this God who is holy 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 Some feel that's a reference to the the Trinity. In in Hebrew writing, when you repeat a word like that, in English we just say very, very, very. When you repeat a word like that, you are taking it to another level every time. You are just emphasizing the, the truth and reality of this. And so this holy, holy, holy God, the one that we serve, He is the one that we honor, that we worship, that we live for, and that we walk with. Amen? He is the one in whose righteousness we stand, and in whose righteousness we are, in fact, called to walk. There's studies being done, have been done, and continue to be done in Canada, and and reports written on what they're calling the halo effect. And that is the impact of a church on its local community. And, And some church groups... Some research groups, the government itself, are doing studies called the halo effect. They want to know, is there an economic, is there a social impact that a church has on a community because it's there? Now, that's interesting information and something to reflect on. It's interesting to think about that question. If a church was taken out of a community, would the community even notice it's a good question to ask, isn't it? And while it's good that as a church, we help people and we make a difference and we help meet needs that are financial, uh, physical, uh, relational and emotional, and absolutely and fundamentally spiritual, while it's important that we help and meet these needs, the greatest impact that we will have individually and collectively as a church, as the people of God in this community, is not just our help, it's our holiness. It's our holiness. It's not that just that we help other people, it's that we help other people because we love them because God loves them. It's because we understand what it means to be standing in ultimate need before God and having that need met, and so we are driven to go and reach out and help others and that we are doing it and we want to to help people, but we also want to share Christ with them. That, That we want to have an impact on this community because we stand out as God's people. And we're not just help and hope, but we are here for Him to be able to make His presence known in this community. His presence through us. We have been studying the book of Revelation this winter and we've now doubled back and we are walking through the seven letters that Jesus gave to the seven churches of Asia Minor. We saw a couple of weeks ago the heart of the church addressed in the letter to Ephesus. We saw the the heart of the church addressed there and then last week we looked in Smyrna and we saw the, the hope of the church being addressed. Today we look at the church in Pergamum, the letter that Jesus has for them. And we'll look at the holiness of the church. And we'll look at its impact and its importance. So let's pray as we come to the word of God this morning. Father, we want to, we need to hear from you today. We are grateful for your word and your spirit and the opportunity to look into your word now We pray that you give us ears to hear, hearts to hear, lives to embrace what you have for us. Help us to hear what you have for each of us and for all of us. And we commit ourselves to attentively looking into your word now. And we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Revelation chapter 2 verse 12 says this. You have some there who hold the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the sons of Israel, so that they might eat food sacrificed to idols and practice sexual immorality. So also you have some who hold the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Therefore, repent. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who conquers, I will give some of the hidden manna, and I will give him a white stone with a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. How do you see, how do you describe the town or the city in which you live? How would you describe that to someone else? I read something interesting this week. A pastor was writing and he just said, why is it? That whenever a church is communicating with a pastor, with the the idea of having him come to live among them and lead that church. He said, why is it we get letters and emails that sound like the church has become the the, the chamber of commerce for that town? (laughs) He said, we get letters that say, oh, here are the amazing things going on in our town. Here's the financial stability of our town. Here's the economic situation. Here are the demographics. Here's who lives here, their ethnic background, their age range. Here's who's here. Here are all the wonderful amenities that our town has. If you and your family should come and live among us, we have two pools. (laughs) Look at all the things that we have. It's wonderful, and we're so close to so many other things. You really do want to come and live here. He said, why is it no church writes to a potential pastor and says, our city is a dark, spiritual place. It is a difficult place to stand for Christ and walk with Him and reach out with the gospel. But God is here, and God is at work here, and God has people here, and we need a shepherd, someone to come stand with us and lead us. Will you come? He said, why does nobody write that? He said, maybe, maybe it's because as churches we need a more clear and accurate understanding of the places in which we live. And maybe it's because as pastors we might run and hide if somebody wrote us a letter like that. Works both ways, doesn't it? Interesting. Pergamum was the capital of Roman Asia. It was a wealthy city. It was a beautiful city with incredible architecture all around. Pergamum had the largest library of the ancient world, second only to Alexandria in Egypt. In the first century, now think about this. No computers, no printers, no copiers, no printing press even. In the first century, their library had over 200,000 volumes in it. This is an impressive place. It was the capital of Roman Asia, and Rome had given the proconsul of Pergamum the rare uh, privilege, the rare privilege called the power of the sword, which meant that the proconsul of Pergamum was free to execute at will. He had absolute authority and could execute as he saw fit. The name Pergamum or Pergamos means citadel. And it was a city built on this massive hill a 1,000 feet high. Around here, we'd call it a mountain, wouldn't we? <laughs> it was a huge and imposing view from all around. You could see this coming from a long way away. At the top of this hill was a massive altar and temple to the god Zeus. This city was full of temples to false gods. It had three large temples specifically to be used in emperor worship, worship of the Roman emperor. And no doubt, back then in the first century, you could have found a lot of people in and around Pergamum who would have been well equipped and eager and ready to help to write a travel and tourism ad for Pergamum. This is a place you want to see. I mean, it's amazing. Everything right at our fingertips. You want to be here. But of all the people who would have been willing to write a travel and tourism ad to lure people into Pergamum in the first century, Jesus wasn't one of them. Because here's how he described that city. He said to this church, this group of followers of Christ, he looked at his people and he said, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. Now that's a different view of that city, isn't it? Where Satan's throne is. You see, Pergamum was hostile to followers of Jesus Christ. The one true, living God and Savior. And they lived in this place where Satan's throne is now let me just ask you we'll see if you remember all right this is dangerous we'll see if you remember as we started our journey through the book of revelation we said that there were four keys for us to understand in order to understand the book the themes and the flow of the book and in order to understand life itself in fact and what was the first key the throne the throne And Jesus looks at Pergamum and he says, I know where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And the people in that church and the people in the other six churches reading this book, receiving this book, they're going to hear this word come many times. But do you think the people in Pergamum are going to have their ears perked up when they see that Jesus is talking to them and they hear that he understands that we live where Satan's throne is? And they are going to see the throne repeated over and over and over again throughout the book of Revelation. Multiple references to God's throne. And multiple references to Satan's throne. His temporary doomed throne which will be ultimately defeated. Do you think when they hear these things and they hear references to Satan's throne later in chapter 13 and 16 and towards the end of the book, do you think that they would go back to this and go, hold it? Satan's throne right here where we live? It's only temporary. It isn't, in fact, the real throne. Not only that, neither's the one in Rome. Do you think they need that reminder, that encouragement? Absolutely. Absolutely. And Jesus looks at the church in Pergamum, and he says to his followers there, you might live in the shadow of Satan's throne, but you must live in allegiance to my throne, to God's throne. He says you can see Satan's presence there in your city, in the sin and the wickedness that is just, the rebellion against God that is just promoted and celebrated in the worship of anything and everything except the true living God, and in the attacks on the people who will stand for the true living God. You can see Satan's presence there among you. But are you aware of my presence right there with you? I am the one standing there amongst the the lampstands. I'm right there with you. I am the all-seeing, all-knowing Lamb, and I see, I know where you dwell. I know who you are, I know where you are, and I know what is going on right around you. Are you aware of my presence there? And he speaks to them to remind them that that they are his people. And he says, since you're mine, you need to stand with me and for me. You need to stand out as mine. And whenever I read these kinds of passages, my my mind is drawn back to Exodus 33. and the conversation that Moses had with God, When God said, Okay, Moses, it's time now, we're going to start heading towards uh, the land that I've promised to the people. And by the way, I'm going to send you up, but I'm not coming. They're too sinful, they're too rebellious, I'm not coming. What does Moses say? He says, God, if you don't go with us, I'm not going either. Because if you are not with us, what in the world will make us distinct from anybody else? Answer, nothing. The only thing that makes us different from anyone else is the presence of God. Moses understood that. And Jesus is reminding them of this. And he says, I know where you dwell and I know that you do in fact stand with me and stand for me. You hold fast my name, you did not deny my faith, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Jesus says there is a price tag to standing out as being mine. And you know it well. And he speaks here of Antipas, his faithful witness, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. Don't you wish we knew more about Antipas? Everything we know about Antipas in Pergamum, I've just read to you. It's all we know. We know he was a a man who lived in Pergamum in the first century. We know he is our brother in Christ. We know that he lived in a place and at a time when it was a dangerous thing to be an ally of Jesus, a follower of Jesus, to swear allegiance to Jesus instead of the, the emperor and the false gods around. And we know that in the face of those threats and that intimidation, he stood faithful to Jesus and even gave his life for it. That's all we know about him. If you want to know what you really need to know about Antipas, take a look at the way Jesus describes him. He speaks of Antipas, my faithful witness. Have we heard that phrase before? In chapter 1, verse 5 of Revelation, that is how Jesus is described. Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come and from the seven spirits, the sevenfold spirit who is before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. Jesus says Antipas was faithful even to death like I was. And I will share that description with him. He was my faithful witness. That's all we need to know about Antipas, isn't it? Wow. Wow. Help from the church is often welcome and appreciated in a town. You would, you would assume that that would be right, wouldn't you? Holiness rarely is. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6, verse 26, Woe to you, that's a term of judgment, by the way, woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. Everybody thinks you guys are fantastic? That's what they said about the false prophets who led people away from me. John chapter 3, Jesus said this in verse 19, This is the judgment that light has come into the world and people love the darkness rather than the light because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light lest his works should be exposed. The impact of our holiness on our community may not be we receive their approval. It may actually be we become a bit of a target. It will be that we stand out. And as we heard from 1 Peter this morning, Peter in that same letter, he refers to us as strangers and aliens, as travelers and foreigners. We don't belong here. We don't belong here. And that is the challenge for every follower of Jesus, not just in every generation, But every day, isn't it, to wrap our hearts and our heads around that, to say, we don't belong here, I don't belong here, and to remind ourselves so that when we don't fit in, we don't panic and do whatever it takes to fit in. We just say, well, of course we don't fit in because we don't. We live here. We don't belong here. So the real question, as Jesus commends them, for standing out as his, even to the point of death. And even when one of their members, one of the, it may have been their pastor, when one of them among them was killed there, the rest, they, what did they do? They stayed faithful. Even as he commends them, the question that comes is this Which throne has my allegiance? Which throne has my allegiance? Is it the visible, the the aggressive, the intimidating throne of Satan? Or is it the ultimate throne of God? The everlasting, unchanging, unmovable throne of God. Which one has my allegiance? Which one has yours? Which one has ours? Which throne does my life reflect? Which throne does your life reflect? Which throne does our lives and does our ministry reflect an allegiance to? Jesus looks at the church in Pergamum who had suffered persecution, aggressive intimidation, physical attack, the death of one of their own. And he says, you have been faithful, and that is good. That is good. But, but there's a problem. He said, the problem is you've got a divided church. You see, while some remain faithful, there are others who have gone a different direction. And this is where we get to the importance of holiness, starting in verse 14. Some hold there the teaching of Balaam. Now, if you're reading with us through the the chronological order of Scripture throughout the year, you just read this past week about Balaam in in Numbers 22 and 23. And Balaam, by the way, the Hebrew name Balaam means conqueror of the people. Do you know what the, the Greek word Nicolation means? Same thing. Interesting. Balaam, way, way back, devised a plan for the daughters of the Moabites to seduce the men of Israel and thereby lead them into eating the food sacrificed to idols, sacrificing to those idols, worshiping Baal Peor, the false god. That was his plan, was to lure the men of Israel away. And it seems that the plan of the Nicolaitans and the belief of the Nicolaitans it was very similar. It was there to deceive, trying to seduce the church into a cultural shift. What Satan could accomplish could not accomplish through the front door, through intimidation and attacks and persecution and violence and threats. He instead accomplished from within. By planting some false teaching. And Jesus said, there in Pergamum, you have some amongst you who hold to the teaching of Balaam and some who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Now that eating food sacrificed to idols, some of you are going to say, "Oh, well, Steve, Paul talked about that. and that, That's okay, you've got to process it. We're not talking here about purchasing meat in the market and not knowing where it came from and all that kind of thing it certainly appears that what we're talking about here is not just eating food that had been sacrificed to idols at some point, but rather that you are engaging in those banquets, those celebrations, those parties, those feasts held in the honor of those false gods as that food is sacrificed to them. And and this sexual immorality, while that is a, a, a broad term, yes, Scripture repeatedly warns us against that in all of its forms. Here, this seems to be, again, directed at the activities and rituals that were conducted in the name, in the honor, in the worship of, and in allegiance to these false gods. And the problem with the church in Pergamum was this, that there were some there engaged in this who held to this teaching there were some there that said this is okay we can do both we can come on Sunday and sing songs of praise to Jesus and swear allegiance to Jesus and, and be encouraged in following him and then during the week we can do the same thing to false gods out there in our community there are some who held to that and the problem is that while some held to that the The other problem is this. The rest tolerated it. They put up with it. Maybe they were tired. I mean, maybe they came to church and they said, you know, we've been fighting the battle out there all week. I've been hearing it from people all week. I've been attacked this week. We've seen all the the, the oppression and and the persecution that comes from out there. It's a battle just to survive the week. When I come to church on Sunday, I just don't have energy for going another round. So maybe when I come here, I just want to love everybody here. I just want to be loved by everybody here finally. And can we just uh, take a breath and, and let our guard down a bit? Or maybe when it, whenever it was brought up, some would say, well, it's just a bit. I mean, they only do it occasionally, you know, when they have those, those annual feasts or something. So it's just an occasional thing. It's not like it's every day. Maybe some said, you know, it's just not worth the conflict. Peace at any cost. And while the church in Ephesus had pure doctrine, pure teaching, and yet that was done with no heart for God and each other, and there was no love going on there, Pergamum said, you know, we're already under attack all the time. Let's just, let's just throw open our arms and love everybody here, and we won't worry about the false, the, the false teaching." Doctrine, hey, whatever, we'll just just work through this together. Maybe some were just trying to survive the day and come to some way of having some form of a peaceful coexistence with Rome. Maybe we can make this work. Maybe some said, I love Jesus, I want forgiveness in life in His name, I believe He's the Son of God. I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm just adding a few of these other things along the way to fit in. To fit in. So I don't draw attention to myself. So I don't have myself and my family attacked and marginalized. So that I can participate economically as we heard last week. So that I can feed myself and my family. Just, Just, I don't want to stand out. But the whole point of holiness is we stand out. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. You be holy because I am holy. That set apart, that God is in his own category and he calls us out to come and stand with him and be his. And so holiness is not, we're going to give you a card on the way out this morning, a little laminated card for you to put in your wallet that has, that has a, a, a checklist of everything not to do this week and on the other side, everything you should do this week. We haven't developed an app for that, so that you've just got it at your fingertips. Holiness is this mindset that understands that I have been set aside by God. I have been set aside to God. I've been set aside for God's purposes. That's what holiness is. And so when I understand that I've been set aside, set apart by God, to God, and for God... I then understand that I need to stand with him and for him as his, no matter what. Understanding that his is the throne above all others. That's the call of holiness on our lives. And just by definition, it means we will stand out. And the people of Pergamum, we today, need reminders that being saved by grace does not mean you're now free to sin. That we've been saved from sin to righteousness. That we have been, and we've got to ask this question, have we been made holy? Have we been set apart to God, for God, and by God or not? Which throne has our allegiance because they cannot and do not mix? It cannot be both. It just can't be. And so Jesus says in verse 16, you need to repent. We go, well, of course, of course. Of course they need to repent. They're holding to the teaching of of Balaam or or the Nicolaitans. They're, They're engaging in the worship of God while at the same time worshiping and carrying on like they worship all these other gods. Of course they need to repent. But both groups needed to repent. Those who were engaged in this activity and those who tolerated it. And Jesus said, if you don't repent, if you don't turn your back on that and walk away, here's what he says. If not, I will come to you soon and war against them with the sword of my mouth. And when Jesus says, I will come to you soon, that's not an encouraging, oh good, he's finally coming back and everything will be made right. This is a warning of judgment, isn't it? I will come to you soon and I will war against them. If you won't do it, I will. I'll come and I'll war against them with the sword of my mouth. With a decisive word of judgment and I will clean house. That's what he says. This is the one who they've just been told in in verse 12, who has the sharp two-edged sword. This is how Jesus was described in chapter 1, verse 16. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. In chapter 19, They will hear this again, and I wonder what happens in Pergamum as that church sits around and they listen to the book of Revelation being read, and they hear this in Revelation 19, verse 11. Then I saw heaven open, and behold, a white horse, the one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. Jesus having this sharp two-edged sword coming from his mouth is not some kind of sword trick. What is that speaking of? What else do we know? What is referred to in Scripture as a sharp two-edged sword? The Word of God. This is, he will come and he will speak definitively and finally and decisively. When they hear that, I wonder if their minds go back to the letter that was read to them. That's not what we want to see when we come to church next week. We want to see Jesus honored and treasured here and, and pleased with what's going on here. We don't want to see that. And Jesus, as he writes to the church in Pergamum, he reminds them of how faithful, how faithful some have been, even in the face of death. How dangerous a game it is to refuse to be God's holy, set-apart people and to start mixing in the activities that, that worship the gods of the world just to fit in, just to participate. And then he says this, he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. One more time, he says, are you listening? And he's saying, it's not just to the people in Pergamum. It's also to the people in Ephesus and Smyrna and Thyatira and Sardis and Philadelphia and Laodicea and Hero. Do we have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying? Do we together have an ear to hear what the Spirit is saying? Not just can we repeat the words, but do our hearts understand and grasp and respond to the message that he's giving. He says, to the one who conquers, there it is again, the one who conquers, the one who overcomes, even if like Antipas, he has to die in the process, the one who conquers and overcomes and is faithful to me, he who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. What's that all about? The hidden manna. Well, the hidden manna is the manna that was taken and hidden in the ark and placed in the most holy place in the very presence of God. And Jesus is saying, don't settle for or be seduced by these banquets around you just to fit in and have your needs met temporarily. You want to participate in the great feast in the kingdom of God, in His very presence. And I'm the only one that can make that happen you come as mine, you come to me, you walk with me, and that's where your your needs will be met. People would give in to idolatry and to this process because their economic needs were tied to it, their economic well-being was tied to it, and so they said, if that's what it takes, that's what we'll do. And like like a baby swatting away the bottle that's coming as they cry in a fit of hunger and trying to stuff a stuffed toy in there instead... We're so frantic about our needs that we're grabbing at whatever's closest and refusing that which Jesus says is what you really need. And he says to the people of Pergamum, to he who overcomes, I will give to eat of the the hidden manna. And that's not all. And I will give him a white stone. What's that? There's a lot of discussion and debate around that. I, I, I think it is probably... These white stones that they would give, they would give these little white stones with things etched on them as invitations to banquets and occasions. And you would come and you would bring it and it was an invitation and also your token to come in. I wonder if Jesus is saying, you want an invite to a banquet? I'll show you a banquet. And as we read in Revelation 19, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. He says, I will give you of the hidden manna. I will invite you to the very marriage supper of the Lamb. Do not be distracted and diverted. And he says, That white stone, it's going to have a new name written on the stone that no one knows except the one who receives it. Now, think about this you have a name. You have a name by which you are known. And, and it's, more, it's longer and more formal the less people know you. So people at a distance. Uh, I hate to bring this up, but it's coming into tax season, right? <laughs> people like, say, the government. They want your full name, first, middle, and last, please. That's how they know you. People who work with you, people who maybe shop in the same place as you, people who live on your block, they might know you just by first and last name. People that you engage with regularly, they know you by your first name. Some of them may even shorten it down to the chagrin of your mother. But they'll shorten it down. Why? Because they're familiar. They're connected. That's Some that you are really connected with, they have a totally different name. They've got a nickname for you that makes sense to you, them, and like three other people on the planet, right? Anybody else hears that? They go, why are you call- they calling you that? Oh, that's a long story. Right, just a nickname. But, but we know each other that well that we've got those names. Do you realize that if you are a child of God, a follower of Christ right here this morning, God has a name for you. You. And for you. That only He knows. But that's how He knows you and that's what He calls you. And one day He's going to let you in on that. And that will be the name He calls you. Wow. Don't worry about people that don't want you. God Himself has a name for you. You are so special to Him as His child. He knows you. He's waiting for you. You are invited to His banquet where you will be called by the name only you and He will know. Is that an amazing thing? A few years ago, the Associated Press ran a detailed story. It was about a a name-changing ceremony that took place in Mumbai, India. At birth, these 285 girls, 285 girls that had participated in this ceremony, they had all been named either Nakusa or Nakushi, which in the predominant Indian language of Hindi means unwanted. they have been named this by their families because in India... The families often value sons much more than daughters. And as a result, female babies have been aborted or neglected at an amazing rate. But this renaming ceremony, this was held as an attempt to give these girls a new, fresh identity. The article said the 285 girls, wearing their best outfits, with barrettes in their hair and braids and bows, they lined up one by one to come up to the front and received the certificate with their new name on it, along with a, a bouquet of flowers. Some of the girls had chosen new names for themselves that meant prosperous, or beautiful, or good. One even had a name that meant very tough. One girl, who had been named Nakusa unwanted by her grandfather and his disappointment at her birth, said to the reporter, Now at school? Now at school, my classmates and friends will be calling me by this new name. That makes me happy. I'm not unwanted anymore. It does not matter how the world around you treats you. And whether they say, you're set apart by God and to God and for God, and you don't fit in around here, you're just not welcome whether they make up all kinds of derisive names about you, it just doesn't matter because there is one who says, I know you. I love you. I have redeemed you. And i got a place for you at my table. And I've got a name for you. I've got a name for you nobody else even knows. That's a precious thing, friends. Jesus looks at the church in Pergamum. And he says, with all of this in mind, be faithful. Keep on standing. Be faithful. But together you must also be holy. And you must have allegiance to the right throne. Don't cower in the shadow of this throne when when the throne of God is so much greater and, and it's eternal and it's above this throne. You must have allegiance to the right throne. And you will be welcomed home. When you conquer, when you overcome, when you endure to the end as mine, for me, as my people, you will be welcomed home to my table, to my banquet. Right there in the presence of God in the holy place, you will receive from the hidden manna. You'll be welcomed in and you'll be called by the name that you are known by there. Don't worry about what they call you here. And it will all take place not in a city where Satan dwells, but in the place where now the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. So which throne has my allegiance? Which throne has yours? Which throne has ours? What what am I... What are you... What are we hearing from the Spirit of God as we study these letters to these churches? As we reflect on the heart, the hope, and the holiness of the church, let's worship with our words and our voices again now, but let's continue by worshiping with our lives. Let's sing these words, but then let's go live it here and out there together as people who have together been called out by God, to God, for God, set apart for His purposes right here in this place, in this generation. Let's stand and sing together.